for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk. And the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Well, hello, hello, and welcome a podcast, but a podcast with a different distinction. It's me, off the cuff, talking about everything that I love artistically. Usually, it will be segregated to literature, novels, books. And films, but not only that. It may be a time where I talk upon cultural things, most specifically within the art medium. Whether it's movie news, book news, culturally, what's going on. It's literally a podcast about a man on his own, staring at the four walls and just thinking, "What am I?" It's not a rot. It's an articulate warbling. Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I'm your host and editor, producer, D.B. Spitzer. Today we're going to be talking about Beowulf or Anglo-Saxon sonnets or something dealing with uh, Old English. So stay tuned uh, or check the show notes and find out specifically what we're going to be talking about. If you want to keep the show going, help support the show, help uh, help keep it on the air, uh, why not go to pgttcm.podbean.com and become a member of our patrons. Also, look out for upcoming projects. We always have something going on. Become a member of one of our cults, uh, the t-shirt cult, the sticker cult, the... Uh, I don't know. You know, hey... Um, also, you could support us by going to paypal.me slash pgttcm or just telling people about us or supporting us and being our friends on social media, Instagram, Black Clock Audio Tales, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much with it occasionally. I do stuff, but hey, that's about it. So here we go with some Anglo-Saxon, Old English, talkity stuff. Sonnets 57 to 64. 57. 891. In the same year, three chosen men of Hibernian race, burning with piety, leave their country. They privately form a boat by sowing ox hides. They put into it provisions for a week. They sail seven days and seven nights and arrive on the shores of Cornwall and set out for the court of King Alfred. From thence they proceed to Rome, and as is customary with teachers of Christ, they essay to go thence to Jerusalem. Ethelwerd's Chronicle They are also named in the Saxon Chronicle. They were called Dubslane, Macbeth, and Maclinmum, and are said to have been skilled in arts and letters. The Three Pilgrims 
In the rude ages, earth had shrines where men knelt down and prayed, and spots where men forgot amid the past great scenes the present's lot, and nature needeth them e'en now as then. In one idea, one age, seek not to pen thy soul, but bid it wander back through time, and be in turn the child of every clime. From the emblazoned hall to the lost outcast den, still earth has shrines, but then we see them not, or marvel where the wondrous beauty lies that men have seen in many an earth-soiled spot. It was the soft lights of the upper skies that rested o'er them then, and made them bright, beams that have paled in artificial light. 58. 900. In the same year King Alfred departed out of this world, that immovable pillar of the Western Saxons, that man full of justice, bold in arms, learned in speech, and above all things imbued with the divine instructions. For he had translated into his own language, out of Latin, unnumbered volumes of so varied a nature and so excellently, that the sorrowful book of Bothius seemed, not only to the learned, but even to those who heard it read, as it were, brought to life again. The monarch died on the seventh day after the solemnity of all saints, and his body rests in peace in the city of Winchester. Ethelwerd's Chronicle The Hero King One hero fills a century, and the age in Alfred filled might well be satisfied. He slept within his tome the Saxon's pride, and history writ his name upon her page, and hailed him patriot, statesman, poet, sage. And nature in his children bade him still live for the land he loved, and guard from ill the shores round which the northern seasteads rage. Son, daughter, grandson, echoes of his fame, bore on to after years until they died, on coward hearts, and not that hero name could rouse to manly hope or noble pride. Priest-ridden slavish, down they bow the head, to the proud churchman for the despot's tread. 59. It is mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon laws that a servile thrall may become a thane, and a churl an earl. The laws of Ethelstan provide that a thane may arrive at the dignity of an earl, and that a masera, or merchant, who went three times over sea with his own craft, might become a thane. Without the possession of a certain quantity of landed property, nobility at birth could not entitle to a seat in the Wittenayamut. The smith or armourer ranked among the lesser thanes. The Thane's Fireside The yule log crackles in the ample grate, and the rude hall looks cheerful in the light. Tis well, for stern the climb and long the night. Now welcome he who can the tale relate, how the old sea-king braved his adverse fate, or how the fearful sisters weave the thread of human life amid the ghastly dead, while grisly demons on their bidding wait. Strange sounds had each one heard, strange sights had seen, for troubled spectres never cease their walk till faith grows weak, and years must intervene. Aye, years and ages from that evening's talk to such an age as this, when earth and sky and soul to some seem scarce a mystery. 
60. When Athelstan ascended the throne, his brother Edwin was accused of having plotted against his accession. Edwin, who was but a youth, denied the charge, yet Athelstan ordered him, with one attendant, to be put to sea in a boat without oars. Carried by the winds out of sight of land, the unfortunate prince threw himself into the sea. His attendant afterwards reached the shore in safety. For seven years Athelstan mourned his brother's death and performed a penance for his own crime. The Remorse of Athelstan 1. Avaunt, thou hideous spectre, hence, avaunt! Leave me at last. Have I not prayed and wept in unknown agony whilst men have slept? Steal not around me now my heart to daunt, and freeze mine eyes, or look as thou wert wont when we were children. Ah, that would be worse. T'would blast my spirit deeper than thy curse. And that cold shivering form that doth me haunt, is there no penance, long, strange, terrible, that will bring peace unto my guilty heart, as from rough shells we snatch the precious pearl? O oh God, if such there be, to me impart the secret, and though life itself may fail in the dread task, my spirit will not quail. 61. Athelstan educated and established Alan of Bretagne, Louis of France, and Hako of Norway, and these actions are not recorded by English writers, but are attested by the chronicles of the countries benefited by his liberality. Our own authors, by omitting these circumstances, have concealed part of his fame, but this moderation entitles them to credit in other similar events. C. Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons Athelstan II Within the cloister, feebler men had sought peace for the guilty soul's great agony, but the strong battle on and do not flee. Perhaps to his deep spirit came the thought, in some still twilight hour of musing brought, that proof of sorrow for the past is given best by our love to man, our faith in heaven, and in the tangled web of life he wrought bright colours round that one dark spot of crime, and peace through him came to his troubled land, and men forgot, as onward passed the time, that there was blood upon that powerful hand. But did he, too, forget it? There are things the world forgets that yet leave deadliest stings. 62. The story of Edwy and Elfgiver is too well known to need repetition. Edwy, or Edwin, was but sixteen years old when he succeeded his uncle Edred in 955 in the government of a kingdom that the priests were filling with discontent and distraction by violently introducing the rule of St. Benedict. The monkish chroniclers have painted Edwin's character in colours darkened by prejudice, but the more impartial Ethelwerd says that he was much beloved and that, on account of his great personal beauty, he was called Porcalus by the people. Edwy and Elfgiver The times have changed since of a Kentish king Augustine humbly begged a ruined pile and saw the moss-grown church with thankful smile to thy dark day, poor Edwy, when the ring given to thy bride was broken as a thing worthless and guilty by a churchman's hand 
and his proud words woke treason through thy land. And the vain curse had yet a poisoned sting that rankled in thy heart, till one short year of love and grief and anguish quenched thy life. Strange that mere words could cause such crushing fear, or priestly ban wake men to deeds of strife. Nay, tis not strange, for words all meaningless, the feeble shrinking soul, yet curse or bless. 63. The Anglo-Saxon towns generally arose around the Minster. The municipal affairs were managed by a port reeve, chosen by the associations called guilds, which consisted of the freemen of the place. Under princes who carried the influence of the crown to its greatest extent, we find burghers treating as power to power with the king. A symbolic statue in the centre of the market was always a conspicuous object. The town. The doors are wheeling round the minster roof, where priest and bishop in grave council sit, while peasant groups with joke and homely wit gather by the rude market cross. Aloof stands the port reeve, or with a stern reproof chides the ill-doer, or with jealous eye looks on the noble whose gay train sweeps by, the rough path echoing to his horse's hoof. Mountains and forests have been freedom's shrine, but not her birthplace. Men have worshipped there, lonely and sad, the holy and divine, that they would love as household things elsewhere. Tis in the busy streets, the crowded mart, that liberty hath sprung, and man must play his part. 64. From the reign of Athelstan till that of Ethelred the Unready, or from the year 934 until 988, England appears to have been free from the invasions of the northern Vikings. But no wise or powerful princes had filled the throne, and all had been very young at their accession. The violence with which the rule of St. Benedict was forced upon the clergy alienated the minds of the nobility from the princes who supported its introduction. There was external peace, but no national unity. Disunion The Saxon sun had reached its noontide height, and there was peace, but t'was the stifled calm that bodes the tempest, but wakes no alarm. The throne looked fair in that deceitful light, yet it was but a pageant, for the might of power was gone, and by religion's shrine stood but a shadow of that thing divine, chilling the heart, though glittering to the sight, while smiled that treacherous sky, the priest went forth, and sowed disunion through the sleeping land. It had awoke, if from the stormy north the raven's scream had sounded, but the hand that gave the convent dole, the voice too heard in sainted hymn, no heart foreboding stirred. The raven, the emblem of the Northmen, whose banner was a raven. End of part seven.